Again, thank you for tuning in each and every Saturday, 1 to 5 Eastern, here on the Drew Marshall Show. We are broadcasting live from Southern Ontario. And we've had this lady on before, one other time. Um, I kind of have a little crush on this lady because she um, exudes grace. It leaks out of her. And... (laughs) Just, I don't know if that's always the greatest way to say it. It's maybe not a good way to say it. She's leaking. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I really like her. Anyway, she's finally uh, released this book. She's the author of The Way of Letting Go, One Woman's Walk Toward Forgiveness. In November 1984, 13-year-old Candace Dirksen set home from school on a sleepy wintry afternoon in Winnipeg. She didn't make it home that night, though, and her disappearance set off Winnipeg's most comprehensive missing persons search to date. Seven weeks later, Candace's body had been found. She had been abducted and left to die in a shed as Winnipeg's winter temperature plummeted. In the face of unfathomable loss, violence, and heartbreak, how could the Dirksons reorient their lives? I mean, I think every parent, when they hear this sort of story, goes, what would I do? I don't even want to think about it. That's kind of where I go. Yeah. How could they move forward if they allowed themselves to be consumed with revenge Would they lose their future in addition to their daughter? Could they create something life-giving out of this total darkness? Well, to answer those questions, Wilma Dirksen joins us. Wilma, um, did I just freak out when I told you I had a crush on you? Is that weird? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Well, it's always good to hear, though. (laughs) (laughs) No matter matter who you are, it's always good to hear that somebody likes you. You made my day. (laughs) Good, good. Well, I was talking to you earlier, and uh, I remember when I was... um, traveling around North America for about six months volunteering at different camps and I was at Camp Arnis is that what it's right. called? Yes. Mm-hmm. And I had dinner with the uh, director and his wife and we were chatting about different things and, and your story came up and I, I, it just always stood out to me because uh, you know people who listen to my show regularly know that I have this ongoing issue with with God if there is a God this is my problem with God. My problem with God is do with me whatever you'd like but if you screw with my kids, you and I are done. Mm-hmm. How did you fix all of that theology in your head? Oh, well. oh yes. You're, um, I think it was on the on the uh, way of being fixed already during that time. It was. I was very angry with God at one point and had to relinquish that old theology of of God being in uh, utter control and. Uh, and and just revamping it, revamping a theology that reflects today and how God works in our lives today. Hmm. So are you are you saying that you and God are okay? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, desperately okay. <laughs> what was the time when you and God were the worstest? That's a real word, by the way. <laughs> well, it was before Candace disappeared, and then I had no time to question God right during Candace's disappearance because I needed God. I needed the higher power, and I needed to believe in it. And um, and then about 10 years later, then we hit a hole, and I had run out of faith. Hmm. Did this um, event, well, just a shocking way to describe it, isn't it, this event, 
Um, but I, man, I don't even know what are the words to put on this. So you, your daughter is abducted. Your daughter is found dead. You guys go into, I'm sure, a great sadness. And I've heard, and I asked you this last time, but I've heard that many couples, it, some of them don't survive. How, right. So did you mm-hmm. and your husband draw close together and become a stronger bond, or did you guys start to disintegrate? Well, I, I think that the part of our story is that we chose the word forgiveness. When we saw exactly what you've been describing, that the chances of, of us surviving uh, a death of a child, much less a murdered child, much less something sexually, you know, in, in, uh, suggested, um, we were very frightened. So we used the word forgiveness. But people always thought that I, I was talking about the offender and the murderer. But really, I didn't. That wasn't the first thing I had to forgive. I had to forgive sex. I had to forgive um, men. <laughs> I had to forgive wow. what I thought was the real reason that somebody would take a 13-year-old. And it, as it turned out, that is the true reason. But I had to, It's every time um, Cliff tried, or we tried to be intimate during those first five weeks, uh, I couldn't. I, you know, all I could think of was Candace being raped or, or tortured, and I just—that's not a turn on. It's just—I just, I just, it's just gross, yeah. right? And so, I had to realize, no, I had to forgive. I had to move on. I had to let go of all of that yuck and say, no, this is not. This is about the future. This is about Cliff. This is about sex, and sex is good. Sex is wonderful. It's, it's been created for us, and uh, and move into a place of healing for that. But that was the first big, first big monster, first big darkness that I had to face. I love how forthright you are in all of this. Very direct. <laughs> very very brilliant. Um, Wilma, I was taking a flight from Toronto to L.A. one day, and I saw your face on the screen. And I can't remember how many years ago this was. But you were, I don't know, I think you were going into a courtroom or you were, there was something about your case that came into the news. And, and of course, you know, you're, it was decades after um, things went down with Candace that, that they were able to kind of resolve the whole deal. Is it resolved? I mean, how do you even use that word, resolved? It isn't resolved. We are still in the very middle of a second trial because the first one uh, was appealed and uh, overturned. The verdict had been uh, guilty, but it was overturned. So they had to start all over again, and we have just finished the trial proper, and we're not even um, sure of what the outcome will be this time. It's been 33 years, 32 years of investigating trials and, and suspicions and theories, and it's just been, it's haunted us. So, in your mind, who did it? Well, the first trial was very, very convincing. Up till 26 years, we did not know who killed Candace. There wasn't, because it was a strange abduction, we didn't even have a kind of good theory or a, a strong suspect. So, after 26 years, this story came to light and it started to make sense and I, I was reluctant I was worried I didn't I don't want a wrongful conviction of any sort but I was convinced the second trial that he, the accused actually did it and so I have not been unconvinced the second trial so I can't deny what my heart is telling me but based on the evidence I've seen based on the narrative based on everything uh, I think he did it the first time you laid eyes on the man that did this to your daughter 
take us through that. I'm so and, and by the way, are we supposed to say allegedly did this to you? Is that the whole cover your so. cover your butt words? <laughs> I think so. Okay. It's a little hard to go uh, deny that there's already been a conviction, right? So it, it's yeah, he's been alleged, he'd be accused. Okay. Um, it was difficult because I I didn't know what kind of emotions I would have towards him. I I'm kind of unpredictable. My heart is just responds the way a mother's heart will respond. And uh, I was worried. I was worried. As it turned out, he thought that my sister was me. <laughs> so they fastened eyes on each other, and I kind of just didn't engage. And um, But there was one moment during the trial where all of her stuff came on to, into where it was introduced as evidence, and I just felt her move into the court, courtroom, and I just... I had an emotional moment, and then I looked up, and that was when we engaged. And something passed between us. It's real. I think relationships are real, and um, and it's unfathomable, really. But I think in the long run, hearing his story, I have I have moved to a compassion. Why? Passion for Why? for him. Because we're human. We're just also human. You know, and um, and this wasn't the way it was intended to be. God didn't intend this the way. It was. It's just we really are a broken world, and and that's my premise, and that's what I live with. This is just uh, a real broken world, and we were part of the breaking of it, and um, and it's just ugly. It's just ugly, and 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 so I think that's where I land, and I I just when I look at people. I see what everyone has struggled with, and and I can't condone murder. I think violence has a possibility of destroying people in a very ugly way, and I I will I'm I'm highly judgmental <laughs> about murder. But on the other hand, I did hear through his story that his his father locked him up in a shed, too. You know where. Where does the responsibility lie? It's, it's very, very confusing. And I'm going to leave all the judging of, of all of it up to God. <laughs> sure. Wow. Yeah, I, you frustrate me. <laughs> <laughs> Good. <laughs> you know, I mean, you're, you're able to sort through the humanity of all of this and find grace, as I, as I said earlier. And, uh, and I have a tough time thinking, well, you know what, I think this all starts from me thinking that when I contrast my actions towards maybe a perfect God, so let's say there's a perfect God, right? Let's say that's the definition of a God, perfection and grace and love and whatever. And then uh, I go to God and I go, I'm sorry, I suck, whatever, you know, however I describe it. I'm sorry, I suck, God, I'm not I'm not awesome. And, and then God goes, oh, you know what, it's cool, you're my kid, I, you know, I don't expect you to be perfect. And then I go back to God again. I go, oh, sorry, I suck again. I, I, did, I did X again or I did whatever. What I'm trying to get to is this thing called limitless grace. I don't buy into it. It's hard for my brain to go, okay, uh, God's fine with me doing bad stuff again and again and again and again and again and again. Because if I was God and I was raising a kid, I'd be like, dude, you can't do this anymore. Stop it and stop saying you're sorry. That just drives me nuts. Just stop doing it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That was a rant. <laughs> I 
No, there's no question. I'm just ranting now. But I do. <laughs> is there a question in there? Wilma, <laughs> what I'm asking is, help me understand the grace of this God that you still worship, because this God that you still worship allowed something really nasty to happen to your daughter. Well, then you have to go to where was forgiveness born, and my theology might be a little different, and it might be as heretical as um, as anyone else's. Um, but I, I have a different take on on the birth of forgiveness. I believe that in the Garden of Eden, God was created this, and it, it and I'm always amazed how often our faith goes back to the birth story. I think we. We put we hold a lot of uh, importance in our own birth stories and in the, the, the story of how this world came. And, I, and from what I read is, um, oh no, where do I start? I the chaos before the world began and before he created it was kind of the chaos that I felt like I have an abyss inside of me. I went through a depression when I was a young woman. And the only way I could talk about it was that it was an abyss in me. And the abyss was what I was afraid of. That would be part of this trauma experience. And so I just feel that the abyss was there, and God just recycled the abyss and put it into the tree of life. And the tree of life, good and evil, isn't just the knowledge of good and evil. It is actually the intimate relationship of good and evil with the vibration of it, which made a beautiful tree. And uh, the DNA of the trial actually helped me to understand that we ate the tree, and we think it was God's manipulation. But I don't. I think God's all powerful, but He's He's not into control like we are, and just allowed it to be, and not allowed it to be, but it happened. Mm-hmm. There was a trickster in the universe, and he tricked. And we, have, when we part, when we actually ate the tree. We, our, our DNA was changed, and during the trial, I realized we are almost, I don't know what the percentage is, but it's about 90% junk DNA. That I'm sorry, did you say 90% junk DNA? Yes, really high, 80% for sure. And well, Hold on, I, what's junk DNA? Well, it's, it's, it's crazy DNA, and I think that we've also known that our, our brains aren't working at capacity either. Oh. And, that part and, I understand. <laughs> <clears throat> so uh, in my theology, I think God <laughs> created something, and something terrible happened. We, we're running on 20% of what we really are supposed to be, and God could have jumped the whole project. But So from what I'm reading, God doesn't expect very much when he says, when we just give a glass of water in love, we're already doing something. Hmm amazing because it's only 20 percent and um of goodness in us and so if we can you know so so the expectations are pretty low <laughs> it's interesting i've i have had numerous conversations with with a guy named paul young who wrote the shack and i want to talk about the, the correlation between the story in the shack and your story of the shed because that's just weird um so Paul and I have had numerous conversations about, you know, he says something like, God does not have expectations of you. Mm-hmm. And man, that doesn't sit with me. I mean, I, I guess I, I sort of get it, 
but it's really hard to embrace that. Really, I mean, just from the tribe that I grew up in, right? 30 years in the evangelical scene, and it, the way you could describe evangelicalism is, oh, I don't know, expectations? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, totally, yeah. totally, totally. And and I get that, and, and I'm not um, devoid of them either. In fact, they sneak up on me, right? They, yeah. They kind of, I think, okay, I give it away, and then... And then it sneaks back, and, and then I'm all angry with God again. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I hear a, a Big Ben alarm clock, or a clock in your in your house. It tells me that it's 4 o'clock, so we're obviously running out of time. Did you not hear that? It's the same clock as my grandma and grandpa had. I heard oh, it really? in the background. <laughs> yeah. It is a grandfather clock. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Love it. So the correlation between the shack and, and, the, and your shed. Uh, have you read the shack? Yes, I have. A long time ago. How did that impact you? My goodness, the correlation there is just ridiculous. Uh, Yes, I think that all the elements are there. Everything that I had to face was in the book in in a different kind of metaphor. It's all about the, the crises, right? I think in some ways I had to almost skip some of it because it was very real and very vivid. It's, um... It's a tough place, and but in some ways, I, I from what I've also experienced is that a lot of people have the shack in their lives. Yeah, you know, at some point, we all have to face all of that. What is the meaning of life, and and how can life be so cruel, and 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 how in the Sam hell does God work it all out? <laughs> Did you hear that? I love how in the Sam hell. That sounds like my grandparents. <laughs> really? <laughs> Sam You have Hill. the grandfather clock, I have the Sam Hill. <laughs> Do not look up what Sam Hill means. No? I just, no. Is it bad? Look it up. No, it's, just look old, it up. it's just an old expression. It's really bad. Okay. All right. Uh, we are giving away a copy of today's HarperCollins Canada book to one of our Facebook followers, but you've got to be one of our Facebook followers and from Canada, and you have to include your address. So many hoops to jump through to get this. <laughs> But uh, send us a private message on the Drew Marshall Show Facebook page, and you could win a copy of today's book from HarperCollins Canada. And, of course, today's book was written by this lady, Wilma Dirksen, and the name of the book is The Way of Letting Go, One Woman's Walk Toward Forgiveness. Wilma, um, is your husband on the same page as you in terms of forgiveness? Oh, that's very complex question. Um, we are on the same page as forgiveness, but men and women do it very differently, right? Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, yes, and but we have arrived at this, not at the same times all the time, but in the same place, because it was the, our only hope, our only hope of saving our marriage and of finding our happiness again. So we're on the same page. And we are more and more on the same page. Um, we are... Uh, we are absolutely amazed at how our family is functioning now and how we're all together we can finally kind of at the end of life or at least some part of it say wow we kind of made it Hmm. and just amazed just amazed at our journey here's an interesting quote Wilma reminds us that there is another way out of tragedy it is a long and hard and rocky path but it ends in a place of peace and joy the way of letting go is a beautiful and important book. It will open your heart. Um, what's Malcolm Gladwell like? <laughs> oh, he is amazing. He came over for two hours. He talked to me, and 
afterwards I thought my soul had been massaged. <laughs> wow. Yes, because he had studied my life and he asked me the most unique questions, like in the in the train station, where was your father standing when you thought this and this in your book? Hmm. And the question, the the probing, he was good. Yeah, he, he and he he had as a person who could have had the biggest ego in the world. I just I think he's just amazing, and I, and I thought that before he came over, I thought I'd read one of his books and just thought it was amazing. Yeah. He didn't have any ego. Nothing, huh? Not man. I there's something about him. I just I don't want to like. You know. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I know what you're talking about. <laughs> He's an original thinker that 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 uh, suspends all of a lot of the ordinary, right? Yeah. He's a minch. A minch? Did you say minch? That's great. Hey, I love it. I can't believe That's you so said funny. that. I, was, I had a meeting with uh, with this lady who's sort of been an agent for me down in L.A. and, and uh, my uh, sort of attorney in L.A. And we we're having this discussion, and, and the term minch came up because we were meeting. Who the heck were we meeting? Oh, uh, uh, it doesn't matter. Anyway, um, and, and I didn't know what it meant. Tim, do you know what a minch is? Uh, it's a, a sort of a kind name for a Gentile. <laughs> Like, no. you're not you're not Jewish, and they call you mensch, which is like you're not Jewish, but you're yeah. one of us. Oh no, I no. Had thought no? the mensch is a person above human. They yes. are they are the epitome of um, transcending. Yeah, um, they're statesmen. They're statesmen would be another word, perhaps. He's a good guy. He's a good guy. That's what it means. Um, <laughs> Wilma, you have such a beautiful spirit and a great sense of humor. You're you're a bit of a cheeky monkey as well. You've got all this light. Um, exuding out of you, so I hesitate to go here. But just for the sake of of getting people, I guess, into the headspace that you you had to endure. Um, where where were you when you first were taken over by an overwhelming "There's something wrong with my daughter" feeling? Um, the, the, when I realized she was abducted. Yeah, when you realized that she that she just wasn't late coming home. Well, I was coming up to the stairs and I looked and I saw that a snowstorm had moved in and I thought that it was going to be a warm November, and I, I just had this sinking feeling and that lasted right up till about four o'clock at night when I went to bed, just exhausted and. It was just a nightmare, just a, just a horrible nightmare. And I almost knew immediately because she was going to meet, uh, have a good friend coming in the next day and she had just been given a snow, snow wash uh, by her crush of the day. And so she was so high, you know, she was just sandwiched between the two loves of her life. So I knew that she'd come home. So I knew immediately and it was, it was, that's a moment when I said, God, just my my prayer was, God, just take her rather than have her suffer too long, because I knew that Candace couldn't take pain. And I just, I just pled anything. I just bargained with every bit of everything, just saying, God, just take me, take anything. Just don't, don't let Candace suffer. And I, I was there with her body, soul, and mind. I think just, just dying inside, knowing that something that she was in the hands of an angry stranger. I just knew it. And so when they accused, thought that she'd run away, I just couldn't go there. I just, 
I knew so vividly, and it was the worst, right? The worst. Well, there, there were many worsts, though. So. Sure. Sure. Wow. Yeah. Well, I um, I want to thank you for putting your guts into this book because there are very few people that have the right to speak to the issues that you speak about in this book and um you've you've earned you've earned the privilege of of uh of writing what you've written the way of letting go one woman's walk toward forgiveness and again we are giving away a copy of today's harper collins canada book to one of our facebook followers so go to our facebook page the drew marshall show uh, you got to be from canada uh, send us your address and we will uh draw a winner out from there you know wilma next time you come to toronto i want you in the studio on a saturday because i we've never met we've spoken a couple <laughs> times and i just have this weird awkward crush on you but we've never met so it might actually it might be better if you don't come okay <laughs> yes that's right it's always just mystery right yeah that's right. <laughs> i love it i love it thank you so much so good to chat with you wilma it's perfect yeah bye-bye thank you bye-bye Bye. too fun Ah, just, you know, these are the the stories that I just kind of spin out of and go, I don't get it, I don't get it. But like, that's the great thing about it. I don't think we, we need to know everything. Hmm. Um, the second, you're always saying, you know, certainty is, is the greatest thief of faith, you know, and so perhaps just not understanding and not knowing is, is more of a gift than we think. But you hate it. I do. I yeah. hate these interviews. Maybe it's a millennial thing. Really? We're going to blame it on... We're going to blame everything on everything. millennials. Who would hurt all mankind?